name is Rebecca Meidinger. It is so wonderful to be here with you again. It has been a few weeks since I have been able to record a podcast. Life is full and busy, and I have struggled to get downstairs to my podcasting studio. But I have been studying Jonah, so if you are following along and you were with us last time in the the last of the three episodes I did on women in the Bible under the Do You See This Woman series, you know that I said that we're going to go to Jonah next. And I thought it would only take me about a week to get here, but it has been like three weeks since I've been able to make it down here into my office. But I'm really excited to be here. I've been studying Jonah and taking lots of notes on Jonah, and I'm so thrilled for the opportunity to go through Jonah with you. So this series will be about four weeks, I think. One week, one episode for each of the chapters in the book of Jonah. And the title of this series is going to be Jonah, It's About Jesus. Because the book of Jonah, like the whole Bible, is about Jesus. But the book of Jonah very specifically is going to point us to Jesus in some really cool ways. For one thing, Jesus himself says that the sign of Jonah is a sign to us that the Son of Man will be in his tomb for three days and will rise on the third day. And the sign of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish and then being saved by the Lord and vomited up onto the beach is a sign of the rising of the Son of Man. Jesus says that. So that's a very clear way that Jonah is going to point us to Jesus. But we're going to see other significant ways that Jonah who did not want to go and, and preach a message of salvation to lost people. We're going to see how Jesus is the better Jonah, that Jesus wanted to go when the Father said, go and save these people. Jesus, God the Son, was delighted. It was his delight and honor for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, as the writer of Hebrews says. So Jesus is the better Jonah who wanted to come to seek and save the lost. We're going to learn a number of wonderful things about who our God is, about his patience and his mercy, about his his mercy being so great that it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right to Jonah. We're going to see that Jonah actually in his humanity, he's going to get mad that God would be willing to save a people who are being so evil on the earth and yet God's mercy and his ability to reach out a saving hand to those who repent and turn to him is greater than than our ability to wrap our minds around or our ability to really even agree with God in that and Jonah's going to show us that and Jonah's going to show us how God's mercy extends beyond what we think is fair or right And yet it's that same mercy that saved us as well. And uh, it's a beautiful book. I'm excited to go through it with you. As we go through the book of Jonah, I'm actually going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. I chose to do that because Jonah is a narrative story and the New Living Translation does a wonderful job, especially with narrative story texts. And so we're going to read out of the NLT. Before we get going, I'm going to give a little bit of background. First of all, when did Jonah prophesy? Jonah prophesied in the late 8th century, which would be the 700s BC. So he prophesied 
probably between 790 and 750 BC. We can assume that this story happened around seven, sometime between 780 and 760 BC. One of the one of the commentaries I'm using actually dates it to 759 BC. So they have a very clear date for when that when that commentary thinks that this happened and aligns quite closely with the other texts that I've read. So we'll say between 770 and 755 AD is probably when this account occurred. Assyria has been a very, very strong power at in the region for a long time. And right now they are actually in a slightly weakened state during the reign of King Jeroboam II in the Northern Kingdom of Israel. And the king at in Nineveh at this time, or the king of Assyria, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, this is present day Iraq, is under King Ashurdan III they're in a slightly weakened state, which is allowing King Jeroboam to have a lot of success in expanding and establishing the northern kingdom. But as we know from our biblical story, Assyria is going to get stronger again, and they are going to attack and take captive the Israelites in 722 BC. So this is about 30 to 40, somewhere between 30 and 50 years prior to Assyria attacking Israel, the northern kingdom is when this account is going to happen. Nineveh at this time, we are going to hear the Lord say that they have be, they have become very evil and he wants Jonah to go and prophesy, first of all, his judgment against it, but then we learn also that God wants him to prophesy his mercy and repentance to Nineveh as well. So what is going on in Nineveh that is so evil? So in my Bible dictionary, which... I love it's super helpful I'm gonna read a little bit about what's going on in Nineveh at the time it or in Assyria really it is really graphic and really horrible but it is not unlike things that are happening around the world right now it's actually incredibly similar to things that happen in the world right now so this was happening in Nineveh at the time my Bible dictionary says this, Jonah was not pleased when God commanded him to go to Nineveh and, and preach repentance. The Assyrians worshipped the vicious god Ashur and a multitude of other gods and goddesses. Assyrian brutality and cruelty were legendary. The Assyrians were known to impale their enemies on stakes in front of their towns and hang their heads from trees in the king's gardens. They also tortured their captives, men, women, or children, by hacking off noses, ears, fingers, gouging out eyes, or tearing off their lips and hands. They reportedly covered the city wall with the skins of their victims. Rebellious subjects would be massacred by the hundreds, sometimes burned at the stake. Then their skulls would be placed in great piles by the roadside as a warning to others. Jonah decided that he would rather quit the prophetic ministry than preach to such a people. Nineveh was about 500 miles to the east of Israel. So he headed for Tarshish, probably what is now Spain, probably the city of Tartessus in Spain, which was the furthest, the farthest western location he knew, about 2,000 miles to the west. So Jonah got this word from God that he should go and preach to this incredibly brutal 
nation that had been brutal towards the people of Israel for a very long time. It would be very similar to a word that the Lord gives to us to go to to any of the nations that, well, I don't really want to get political, but imagine the places in the world that would be similar today to where God wants to send us. To the worst of the terrorist groups, go there. Go there and preach there to that group of people, to the very ones that you are most fearful of, go and preach to them. Preach my mercy to them. Preach repentance to them. Yes, judgment as well, but mercy and repentance also. Preach to them. That is the assignment that Jonah got, and he goes in the exact opposite direction as we're going to see in the text. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin reading from the scriptures. We're going to read through Jonah chapter 1 today. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read straight through the text, and then we will go back and we will look through it one verse at a time and try to understand what exactly is happening here. So I'm going to read Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and I will read in Jesus' name. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come upon us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for they, he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them. They couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. 
This is the word of the Lord. All right, what a story. What an amazing story. So Jonah is in the northern kingdom of Israel. He receives a message from the Lord, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. That would have been to the northeast, approximately 550 miles. It would have been a very long journey, probably over a month or approximately a month if he walked about 20 miles per day. Instead, he goes the opposite direction to the port city of Joppa, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean on the western side of Israel. And he finds a ship there that is headed for Tarshish, which is probably Tarsisus in Spain, between 2,000 and 2,500 miles to the west, as far west as he could possibly go at this time. And he buys a ticket and he hops on board to this ship to sail the very opposite direction. Now, why does he want to go the opposite direction? The scripture tells us why. Jonah got up, this is verse 3 of chapter 1, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Then it says it again, he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. He wasn't just trying to escape going to Nineveh, he was trying to escape the Lord. I have to get away from the Lord. The Lord wants me to go do something that I do not want to do. Not only do I want to get away from Nineveh, I want to get away from the Lord because I don't want to do what he wants me to do. Now, this is just so fascinating to me because is it possible to get away from the Lord? Obviously not. (laughs) We cannot get away from the Lord. We can turn our backs on the Lord. We can ignore the Lord. We can refuse to obey the Lord, but we cannot get away from the Lord. So immediately when I hear this, my mind goes straight to Psalm 139, which the whole thing is so beautiful. But the part I want to share with you right now is verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, You are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Where can I go to get away from you, Lord? This is King David writing this. I don't know if he's king yet when he's writing this, but this is David writing that psalm. Where can I go to get away from your presence? Where can I possibly go to flee your presence? If I ride on the wings of the dawn, If I go to the furthest reaches of the sea, if I go down to the very depths, you are there. And not only are you there, but you are holding me fast. No matter where I go, you are holding me fast. You are with me everywhere I go. David knew that there was no such thing as getting away from the Lord. Jonah is going to learn that as well. I just think verse 4 is rather hilarious because verse 3 just tells us that he was hoping to escape from the Lord. And verse 4 starts out saying, but the Lord, (laughs) oh, I guess he didn't escape, (laughs) but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea. Don't you just love that vision? You can think of the way the Lord talks to Job about how the Lord brings the wind out of the storehouses. The Lord hurled a powerful windstorm over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. The sailors were desperate and feared their 
feared for their lives, so they all shouted to their own gods. Very likely, these were Phoenician sailors, and uh, Phoenicia, the people of Phoenicia, worshipped many, many different gods. And so they all shouted out to their own god, their chosen god that they worshipped. They asked for help. They prayed for help. They threw cargo overboard to lighten the load. None of those Phoenician gods were real gods. They did not hear. They did not answer. Jonah the whole time, how? We don't know. He's down in the bottom of the ship asleep. Now, more than likely, he's asleep because he is he's avoiding, right? <laughs> he's just shutting down. He's in total denial and avoiding what's going on. And, and so he is trying to stay asleep, even though upstairs they are all fearing for their lives. The captain wakes him up and is like, how can you sleep? How can you be asleep right now? Get up and pray to your God. Then the crew, they all cast lots. Now, why did they cast lots? That's just something they did. It was, it was the way that they tried to figure things out a lot. It would be kind of like um, us choosing sticks and you know whoever gets the short stick loses that would be kind of a similar thing god chose to work through the casting of lots so through the casting of lots god chose to work through it and to point out that in fact it was because of jonah that this had happened so it says verse 7 says when they did this, when they cast lots, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. So then they all get very angry at him. Why has this storm happened for us? What, who are you? What is your nationality? Who is your God? Where do you work? What is up? Why has this storm come upon us? And why? what have you done to make it happen? And so Jonah's just very honest. He totally owns it at this point. He says that he is a Hebrew. He says he worships the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the land. Now, interestingly, the men right away on board believe him and they are terrified. They're like, oh my goodness, your God made the sea and the land. Your God is the God of the sea. And the sea is totally in a raging, raging storm right now. It is going to kill us. Your God is the God of the sea. Tell us how to fix this. Tell us how to make the storm stop. So Jonah, it says that he had already, verse 10 says that Jonah had already told the other sailors that he was running away from the Lord. And so they were terrified about this and they asked him, what, what can we do to make it stop? And Jonah, again, he by this point, like he's totally owning it. He's just like, throw me into the sea. I would imagine that he assumes nothing worse could happen, right? Like he already ran away from God. He already disobeyed God and disobeyed the instructions and the mission that God had for him. And he doesn't want there to be any repentance or forgiveness for Nineveh. He probably also doesn't think that there's any space for forgiveness for him at this point because he's disobeyed God. And he's like, just throw me into the sea. It'll all be over after you throw me into the sea. Get rid of me. It was my fault. But these sailors do not want to do that. These sailors try to avoid that option. So verse 13 says, Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. 
Now remember, these are sailors. This is their job. Their job and their profession is sailing, and yet they cannot sail against this storm. So then it says that they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. In the midst of this, which is so often the situation for us as humans, in the midst of having no other options, when we run out of every other direction of where we could possibly turn, they turn to God. We do the same thing. Like maybe we will, they prayed to everyone else first. They threw out the cargo. They cast lots. They did everything else first. They tried to row to shore. They've tried everything they could to fix this on their own. They can't fix it on their own. And so finally, in their total and utter desperation, they pray out to the one true God. And this time they are praying for forgiveness. They value Jonah's life. They do not want to throw Jonah overboard. They don't know what else to do. So they pray to the one true God. They pray to Jonah's God. And they pray for forgiveness. Lord, please forgive us for this man's life. We don't know what to do. We do not know what to do. Please do not hold this against us. So they're desperate. They cry out to the Lord. And then they pick up Jonah and they throw him into the raging sea. And immediately the storm stops. Immediately the storm stops. The sailors, verse 16 says, The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and they vowed to serve him. Now, interestingly, we do not hear anything else about these sailors. We know nothing else about these sailors at all. We don't know who they are. We don't know if they followed the one true God for the rest of their lives. We know nothing. But we know that at this moment, they saw the power of the Lord. And they offered the Lord a sacrifice and they vowed to serve him. It's interesting, I wonder if they knew, if, if God gave them any sort of an indication that he was going to save Jonah and that Jonah was not going to die. I don't know. Anyway, verse 17 says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So, I love this because it says, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. I just think it's so awesome that the Lord had this all pre-planned. He had the fish picked out. He had somehow in his supremacy and in his divinity and in his role as creator of all things and sustainer of all things, he communicated with the whale maybe not a whale, he communicated with the great fish and he let it know that it was going to swallow this man. He had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah lived inside that great fish for three days and three nights. Now, let's deal with that elephant in the room question, which is, do I believe that Jonah is a literal story? Do I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish for real? The answer is yes, I do, completely, for a few reasons. One, first and foremost, because Jesus says that the sign of Jonah is the sign that the Son of Man is going to be in the earth for three days and then rise again. 
He doesn't say the story of Jonah or the myth or the legend. He says the sign. So Jesus took Jonah very seriously, and that is full indication to me that I should too. But even just thinking about it logistically or scientifically, it's not outlandish at all for the great fishes of the sea. So earlier I mistakenly said whale. We don't know if it's a whale, but let's just say it is a whale. A sperm whale would have no problem at all swallowing a human being. And a human being would easily fit in the stomach of that whale. Now, I'm not a scientist, and I'm not going to say that the digestive system would allow him to stay in there or whatever, but we have a great God, and the great God can do whatever he wants. So if he wants the whale's digestive system or the great fish's digestive system to just ignore a human being in the stomach for a couple of days, the Lord can make that happen. So I have no problem with this being completely real and realistic. Uh, But the primary reason that I believe that it's totally real and that it happened is because Jesus indicated that it did. And so that that is all that I need to tell me that this happened. So Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. And during that time, he is going to meet his God in a new way. Now, he already knew God. He already had a relationship with God. He was already a prophet. He actually had done prophecy before. He has prophesied earlier in the Bible. We see him prophesying in the book of 2 Kings, just very briefly. But so he he had been active in the prophecy. He He knows God. He has a relationship with God. And yet he is going to meet God in a whole new way as he sits in the belly of this fish and as he ponders what in the world is happening and what his response to God's message was initially and and how he had turned his back on God and then how he was how God brought him back and how God saved him and rescued him we will get to that next time for now what i want to do is i just want to ask when have you been in the belly of a great fish. What do I mean by that? I mean, when have you been in Jonah's spot? When God was knocking at your door, knocking at the door of your heart, urging you in one direction, whether it was a ministry he wanted you to pick up or knocking at your door to meet with him or if it was a person he wanted you to reach out to and you just were like, no, no, I do not want to do that. Or if it, uh, if it was your own life, it, if there's sin in your life that he's just been knocking at your door regarding this sin habit that you're like holding on tightly to, whatever it is, whatever message that God has been knocking at your door at that you're trying to avoid, And maybe avoiding him to the point that you feel like you are are trying to run in the opposite direction. And you're like, you could go 500 miles one way with God. Or you could go 2,500 miles the other way without God. And you're like, yeah, I'll take the 2,500 without God rather than the 500 with God. Give me the 2,500. Give it to me. I'm going to take that one and try to flee from the Lord. 
maybe that's you. And when you tried to flee from the Lord, maybe you got yourself in a bigger mess than you ever could have imagined. And suddenly you find yourself at rock bottom and you're sitting in the belly of a fish. Figuratively. (laughs) You're sitting in the belly of the great fish that God arranged to catch you. God arranged the fish to catch Jonah. God was not done with Jonah. God has a plan. God has got a plan. And he was not going to let Jonah just drown in the sea. He's like, no, I have a plan. I'm going to be there. You think you got away from me in the sea? But look, I was able to hurl a windstorm over the sea right where you were. I was able to calm the sea as soon as you were thrown into it. And then I was able to send a great fish to catch you in the sea. You did not run away from me. You ran right into my plan. (laughs) Jonah, you ran right into the plans that I had arranged for you. Here I am, right here in the belly of a fish. You tried to get away from me, Jonah. Here I am in the belly of a fish with you. Let's get together and talk about this. Let's meet Let's talk. God will go anywhere for us, dear friends. God will go to the depths. That's what David said in Psalm 139. Even if I go down to the depths, still you are there with me. He says, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I get away from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. Well, of course God is in the heavens, right? That's easy. But if I make my bed in the depths, like the depths of the earth, you're there too. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, that's exactly what Jonah was trying to do. I want to go settle on the far side of the sea all the way west to Spain, which is as far west as they knew at that time. I want to go there. Even there, your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It's so interesting because this was already written. This psalm was already written. David lived, oh, at least 300, yeah, three 300-ish years before Jonah. And so this was written, and this, this psalm and all the psalms that David wrote would have been used as, like, songs in, in synagogue. Uh, actually not synagogue, in the temple. They would have been used as songs in the temple. It's so interesting. Jonah should have been familiar with the psalm. And it's so interesting that he wanted to flee to the far side of the sea to get rid of God, even though he would have known this psalm that said, I can't, even if I do go to the far side of the sea, I'm never going to get away from you. So interesting. It's so interesting. Anyway, The Lord is there at the far side of the sea. And the Lord has arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And I'm wondering when you have been inside the belly of that great fish where God caught you in grace and mercy and kindness. And you were trying to run away from him. And he's like, I'm still here. I've still got you. Let's deal with this. Let's talk this out. Let's talk this out. Let me show you how much I love you. I'm just wondering when you have been in that situation. And then, of course, Jonah's going to point us to Jesus. And so we just have to remember 
that when Jonah wanted to go the opposite direction, God wanted him to go to Nineveh, Jonah went the other direction. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came near to us. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus put on a body of human flesh and human emotions. He limited himself to human thoughts and human feelings. And he, the Bible tells us, he went through all the types of temptation that we go through. He endured temptation. He overcame temptation, all of it. He never sinned for the sake of becoming like us so that we know that we have a great high priest who is like us in every way. The writer of Hebrews says that he did that so that we know that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in every way and that we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence because this is our Jesus. He did not run away from us. He came near to us and he became like us. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5, or verses 6 through 8. This is about our Jesus who came near to us to be like us. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus who turned toward us when the Father sent him to us. He came to us to save us. He said the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost in Luke 19.10. He came to us to save us. He did not turn his back and go the other direction like Jonah did and like we do so often. We are like Jonah. Jesus is not. Jonah points us to Jesus who is the Savior who came to save us, who did not try to flee away from us and who did not try to flee away from the father's plan for him jonah points us to the better jesus so if you find yourself in the belly of a great fish because you have been trying to avoid god just know that god is there with you he's right there you did not get away from him you did not hide from him <laughs> he's right there and in chapter 2, we're going to see that Jonah uses these days in the belly of the fish to get to know God again. And we're going to find out that God meets him there and that God saves him, not, not only physically, he already saved him physically, but that he saves him spiritually while he is dealing with his own sin of turning against God, that God is going to meet him and save him out of that. We'll cover that next time. Thanks for being with me. Have a great night. Bye. Bye.